And Father, we rejoice because our sins were placed upon you as you hung upon the cross. And Father, you done away with them. You cast them as far as the east is from the west. And because of that, Lord, we rejoice. We take that time in this this time of the year, Lord, just to remember the grace of God and the love it was as it was displayed through the sending of a son, to remember, Lord, that that son was crucified for us. But, Lord, just the joy that we have, the great gift that we have been given, to rejoice in that, not just this time of the year, Lord, but every day of our lives. And so as we open your word once more, just bless us and guide us as we go through it, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Why don't you turn to your neighbor and tell him, Happy New Year. Happy New Year's, ladies. Did we have an escapee or what? (laughs) It's when we have to uh, start carrying adults out like that that we have problems. (laughs) Go ahead and turn in your Bibles to Matthew, Matthew chapter 2. I'll get there in a bit. But I want to close out Christmas with just remembering the effects that the coming of Christ had upon each and every one of our lives to look at the contrast, we'll be examining it in Matthew chapter 2, between Herod and the Magi to see who we used to be just as Herod was, but understand that as Christ has changed us, as we have come into this new life, that we are just as the Magi desiring to worship the Lord as well. You've seen it in some cartoons and even some of the movies, it's the shoulder angels. You know, there's the good angel that whispers the right thing to do in your right ear. There's the bad angel that whispers the wrong thing to do in your other ear. And believe it or not, there's even biblical precedence for this. The Apostle Paul, as he struggled with his sinful nature in the book of Romans, chapter 7, verses 14 through 19, he says, For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am carnal, sold under sin. For what I am doing I do not understand, for what I will to do that I do not practice, but what I hate that I do. If then I do what I will not to do, I agree with the law that it is good. But now it is no longer I who do it, but the sin that dwells in me. For I know that in me, that is in my flesh, nothing good dwells. For to will is present with me, but how to perform what is good I do not find. For the good that I will to do I do not do, but the evil that I will not to do I practice. And so this is even entering in to a born-again believer's life. It says the spirit wars against the flesh, and the flesh wars against the spirit. Although we've been delivered from the effects of sin, still sin has its effects upon us even in this life. There's not a one of us who after becoming born again does not still commit sins. And we thank God for his saving grace and the magnitude of it that covers all of our sins. And so what Paul is saying here is, looking at it from a Christmas perspective, sometimes I can just be such a Herod who seeks to kill off Christ within my life. But then there's other times I can be as a wise man who seeks to worship Christ with my life. 
It seems we live this life with the good angel on one shoulder and the bad angel on the other shoulder, and there's temptation and encouragement, temptation to do the wrong thing, encouragement to do the right thing. Maybe I should say conviction. What I want to do tonight is to finish off our Christmas season with the days that followed the birth, because again, this is life as it moves forward after the birth of Christ looking at the wise men in us, but also the Herod that can be in us as well. So now in Matthew chapter 2, verse 1, it says, After Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judah in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem. I can see these days as our lives, as Christ came into it, and now Christ dwells within us. There was the Herod within us. In our unsaved state, we were desperately trying to protect our kingdoms the way we saw fit to run it and that which we have built that was apart from God. Pride pride ruled our lives just as it did Herod, and we were provoking anyone who tried to change it or tried to share Christ with us. See, it was said during Herod's day that it was better to be Herod's dog than even to be Herod's son or his wife. History tells us that Herod, when he felt threatened by one of his wives and some of his sons, had them put to death. Herod ruled his kingdom, and pride ruled Herod. He tried to offset things with religion, as most of us in our unsaved state tried to do, tried to appease God or maybe appease our conscience by religious practice, but it came up empty. As far as Herod, Christ's temple, it was one that Herod remodeled and made once again grand and glorious. This was Herod's attempt at religion. Again, he wanted to appease the Jews, but also I would imagine it was the conviction that was in his heart that he tried to put at rest as well because the Spirit convicts everybody of sin, righteousness, and judgment. We're told in Proverbs 21.4, A haughty look and a proud heart and the plowing of the wicked are sin. And Herod was a sinful man, but so were we. Just as Herod was far from God, so were we. But before the Lord, Pryke speaks even louder than words or actions in our lives. And Herod's actions really spoke of a prideful heart. So we were the Herods of our lives, ready and willing to deal with any threats to what we had built. We knew what we wanted. We knew what was best, and we knew who we needed to be, and it was better to be our dog than to have a Christian come and share the love of Christ with us because in our sinful state, we just didn't want to hear it. There was the conviction and not knowing how to deal with the conviction. There was the truth and not wanting to deal with the truth. There were all of these things, but there was still that voice. There was that angel on the right shoulder, in actuality, the spirit, speaking to our conscience, telling us that these things are so and these things are true. And it was not until the fullness of time within our lives that we finally submitted ourselves to the Lord. And it's an amazing thing, fullness of time. We see this in Galatians chapter 4, verse 4, as far as the sending of Christ, but I'm talking about the coming of Christ within our lives. I looked at the fullness of time in my life, and I can look at the details and the things that were going on and how it was just a perfect time for Christ to come in. There was the attempts before, those who tried to share Christ with me in my life, but I refused it at that time. But then there was that day when God softened my heart. For some of us, it's going to be at a young age. For others, it's at an older age. Some, 
it might be the end of their age, the end of their days, but nonetheless, God has been gracious to us all, and for all who call upon the name of the Lord, they will be saved. I was talking to somebody this morning after service about repentance, and he was telling me that he did not repent of his sins until after he was saved, but I told him that's not a true biblical doctrine. Christ came and preached a gospel of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And so it's the person who realizes that he is a sinner and he is far from Christ. And it's all we need to do is to repent and then to believe in Jesus Christ, that he's able to take our sins from us and that we are born again. So once again, verse 1 of Matthew chapter 2. Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judah in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem. God did create us with a conscience or an ear for the Holy Spirit that speaks with the word of God. We're told in Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verse 11, He has made everything beautiful in its time. Also, He has put eternity in their hearts, except no one can find out the work that God does from beginning to end. God places eternity in our hearts. That's why somebody who is an unbeliever can be what we would describe as spiritual. They may seek out God or a God or a higher power or whatever it might be through means of their own device. But nonetheless, God has created us with a desire to seek after him. And those who replace God with whatever it might be will suffer the consequences. I remember my son Sean was in Cub Scouts. And one of the leaders was going through and saying that you have to believe in God. And then he kind of changed up. He says, or a God, or a higher power. You have to believe in something. And back then, I didn't really know what he was talking about. I didn't understand. But really, if you don't believe in Jesus Christ, you're going to believe in something. Maybe you'll be believing in yourself, whatever it might be, but there's nothing that can save a soul except for the Lord Jesus Christ. See, when it was this conscience thing that warned us that we were kings over a crumbling kingdom. Apart from Christ, I knew that I wasn't saved, although I would not define it in those terms. I mean, if we think if we're honest with ourselves, we would all know that we were far from God, although we didn't want to admit it and we didn't want to examine it. But it was when light was shined upon our dark lives that we came to the reality of it, and everybody who was a born-again believer came into God's marvelous light. We knew what we wanted in an unsaved state, and we knew what we wanted wasn't right. Although we knew what was best for us, it was all based upon a lie. And although we knew who we needed to be, we didn't want to make the necessary changes within our lives. But then came whoever it was in your life. And think back, who was it in your life who shared the Word of God with you? There was probably many people to some degree, but there was that final person to the day of your salvation And maybe it was a person who spoke God's word and, well, you didn't really contemplate it for a day or two, week or month later. But nonetheless, it was somebody faithful who entered into your life and shared the word of God. And that light went off. And the amazing thing about the word of God is you can hear it. You can hear it for even years and and, and it doesn't really break through. And then one day God will illuminate your heart and, and, and enter in and it will It'll just all make perfect sense. We're told in Romans chapter 10, verse 17, faith comes by hearing and hearing by God's word. And it's that means by which we come to God for the purpose of salvation. 
And so at some point, the word of God, it penetrates the fortifications that we've built up, and it's that which has made all the difference. It's what the difference is in between being a Herod and a Magi. Once again, verse 1, Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judah, in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and have come to worship him. Where did this enter into these wise guys' lives? Well, it was the same thing. It, it was through a witness. It was about those who shared the gospel. Not the gospel as we have it, because it has yet to be delivered, but the gospel as we see it in the Old Testament. And again, even in Daniel, and it was more than likely, if it wasn't Daniel, it could have been one of his friends or somebody that is not even, whose name is not even mentioned in the scriptures, but it were those who were taken off to Babylonian captivity. See, in our trials, just as in the trials of Judah, God works in so many different areas. And some 600 years before the birth of the baby, God delivers Judah into the hands of the Babylonians. Daniel was in the court of the king. And it even seems, as we read about Nebuchadnezzar, who was the king at the time, even seems like he had a life-changing experience as he came to awareness of who this God of the Jews is, that he's truly the God of the gods. But nonetheless, those who were part of the court were the Magi. And the Magi were pretty good, and as they were in most cultures of that time, is passing down messages, passing down the traditions, and so on and so forth. And so I can imagine you have a, <clears throat> a Magi in, in, in that court, especially the court that Daniel was in. And if you recall some of the things that Nebuchadnezzar commanded of his court, well, there was one particular time he had a dream and he didn't understand it. And he wanted an interpretation of the dream, but he realized his magi were just kind of leading him along. They could make up pretty much anything. And so he asked them, I don't even want to know so much at this point, paraphrasing, the meaning of the dream, but you tell me what the dream was. And they were beside themselves because although they could kind of fake them out as far as what the dream meant, to tell them what the dream was, they were, again, just simply beside themselves. So think of somebody who presents himself as a magi, as being all wise, and then, before they all get killed off because they weren't able to do it, here comes this man, Daniel. Daniel was a humble man. And Daniel realized, there's nothing of myself. I I can't do it, but he says, there is a God who can. And so he and his friends, they pray to the Lord. And that's one of the things that I've been seeing in our church as of late. I've seen, and it's subtle, but it's reality. It's there in actuality. It's a miracle. But I have seen time and time again that God seems to be bringing up the frequency, if you will, of answering prayer. I've seen those who have put things on the prayer chain and had their prayer answered almost immediately or within days or or weeks or whatever it might be. And it just seems like that frequency has increased as of late. Never discount the, the, the power of prayer, especially as we enter into a new year. We block our time off from January to December. So we head into that new year. Don't discount the power of prayer and what God wants to do in your life and what God wants to do through your life. And even as God answers prayer in your life, it's for the purpose of being a witness. And God answered Daniel's prayer, and Daniel was able to tell him the dream and to answer his dream. And God did great things for Daniel. So I would imagine that would have to get the attention of the Magi. He was able to do something that we consider to be impossible to happen. And imagine, again, that had to minister to their heart 
And we're not told of every conversation that Daniel had or Daniel had with the Magi and so on and so forth. But somewhere along the line, it was either he or others and probably the group of them, they ministered to them and they carried their traditions down to such a degree that these men were motivated to make the journey from Babylon all the way through to Bethlehem. Again, I mentioned it earlier in a study of this Christmas season, Alfred Edersheim, who is a perfected Jew, he said during the time of Christ there were still more Jews living in the area of Babylon than there was even in Israel. And so the word of God was in Babylon. There were synagogues in that area. That's where they were first established for the purpose of the preaching of God's word. And so God's word was prevalent in Babylon, so it would just simply make sense that people would hear God's word, these Magi did, and then want to come and see this newborn king, come and see the one who is the fulfillment of God's word because they've seen of the mighty things that he has done. When we see them in Daniel's day, they are contrary to God, but here we see them seeking God out. In Luke chapter 19, verses 41 through 42, it says, Now as he drew near, he saw the city and wept over it, saying, This is Jesus on the day of his triumphal entry. If you had known, even you, especially this, in your day, the things that make for your peace, but now they are hidden in your eyes. Jesus is speaking of the prophecies of the Old Testament, but even specifically in Daniel, more specifically in Daniel chapter 9. But through God's word, God's people should have known who the Messiah was. And it's interesting that these Gentiles understood the fulfillment of God's time. They understood the timing of Daniel chapter 9. And the Jews of Jesus' day had Daniel chapter 9, but they were blinded to it. But these Gentiles... These Gentiles who heard the word of God exhibited faith that would bring them on that long journey. I don't remember how long the journey is, but it's quite extensive. And I know it was very dangerous, but they had to come and see. They had to come and see the one who was prophesied as coming. Now, God met them in a way that they were able to understand. He, he entered in in a way that they were able to comprehend. The Magi were studiers of stars, And more than likely, that's why God hung that star over that baby in order to get get their attention. God meets us where he is at. He's not going contrary to his word. He's still using his word, but he uses things to get our attention. And so the Jews couldn't see it, but the Magi did. So as with all believers, the Magi came out of their kingdom in order to seek God's kingdom. And as he did, they were rewarded with the Lord Jesus Christ. They were able to have this relationship such as they did with this this young Savior. In Micah chapter 5, verse 4, But you, Bethlehem, Ephrathath, although you are little amongst the thousands of Judah, yet out of you shall come forth to me the one to be ruler in Israel, whose going forth are from old, from everlasting. So again, we have the part of us, Herod, who wants to kill Christ the King, motivated by pride. And then we have the Magi, the part of us that knows we need to crown Christ the King, motivated by the Word of God and the witness of the Holy Spirit. Verse 3. When Herod the King heard this, he was troubled and all of Jerusalem with him. And when he had gathered all the chief priests, the scribes of the people together, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. And so they said to him, in the verses I just read, Micah chapter 5, verse 2, they said to him, 
Bethlehem of Judah. For thus it is written by the prophet, But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are not the least amongst the rulers of Judah, for out of you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod, when he had secretly called the wise men, determined from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the young child. And when you have found him, bring back word to me that I may come and worship him also. When they heard the king, they departed. And behold, the star which they had seen in the east went before them until it came and stood over where the young child was. Looking back in our lives, our attitude was such a proof to me of the witness of the word of God because just as Herod was in our unsaved state, What did the preaching of the word of God do? Troubled you. It troubled you. It convicted you, and it convicted you. You wouldn't have thought it through in these terms, but again, I can remember the people who shared the word of God with me in an unsafe state when it wasn't the fullness of my time, when I ignored it rather than received it, and I just didn't want to hear it. I was troubled. I was troubled to a degree to one gentleman who shared the Word of God on a construction site. I lied to him, and I told him I was already going to a Bible study, and it was just a flat-out lie. Not only was I going to hell, I was going to the hardest portion of hell. (laughs) Just kidding. Um, But just so many times we do what we did to ward off the Word of God because we just wanted it to stop. We just didn't want to hear it. But it was the Holy Spirit who was knocking upon our heart. And so upon hearing the witness, I was troubled. See, why are people not troubled with, well, what we just celebrated with Santa Claus? Because you look at Santa Claus, he's awfully prying. He sees you when you're sleeping. He knows when you're awake. He's very judgmental. He knows if you've been bad or good, so you better be good for goodness sake. And he's coming back. He, Santa Claus is coming to town. Well, this little silly illustration. This silly illustration is just that because we know it's simply not true. But when we're told of these things of Jesus Christ, there's that Holy Spirit speaking to her who spoke to our conscience because we know the reality of it. Now it's just like the temple in the wilderness. I'm sorry, the tabernacle in the wilderness. The tabernacle was very plain looking But if you wanted to see the beauty of the tabernacle through the description that we have in the book of Exodus, the only way that you would really be able to see the beauty of it is if you would enter in. And so as far as Christianity, maybe we didn't understand it, but it was when we entered in that all the lights went on. Now, I had some 30 years of experience in religion. In in, in the religion that I had in the Catholic Church, I, I... I heard the Bible readings. I did, I did, we didn't do a Bible study, but the doctrines that were given of the Catholic Church, some of them were based upon uh, biblical doctrines. And so a lot of it I heard, but it was just so fragmented. I never put the effort into understanding what was being said and all of these things. I had no clue what an epistle or an apostle was. I didn't know the difference between any of them, and I mean that very seriously. But then it was entering in and understanding the beauty and it, was, it wasn't that many teachings of the Word of God when I understood the amazing thing that it was and that change that I realized was coming over me. There were the convictions of the past. I went to Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa. Some friends of mine invited me there. They kind of tricked me to go there. But nonetheless, there was the conviction then, but now there's starting to be something different. This is an introduction more than a conviction. The conviction was still there, but it was an introduction to Jesus Christ. 
And it was as if Christ, not that I even thought about it in this terms, but it's as if Christ was in that room introducing himself to me. And I was receptive of it at that point, not completely understanding it. I'm the kind of person that I'm not going to make a commitment to something unless I come to an understanding of something, but I knew I was moving in that direction. And it was kind of the funniest thing. It was something that I knew that was going to happen in my life sooner or later, and that just made me even more open to it. And as I was open to the message, the message, well, the message altered my life, the, the life of myself and my wife and even my children, and I pray my grandchildren even in the future. And so God, God was very powerful and God was very real. I was a Herod, there's no doubt about it, attempted to kill off Christ, but God was making amazing transformation that I would become a Magi willing to worship the Lord Jesus Christ. The thing that is so troubling with all Herods, they know deep inside that Christ is true. And I knew that reality. The time the people, I've mentioned this before, invited me to Costa Mesa. I don't know who was teaching at the time. It was on, I think, a Friday night. Some hippie-looking guy with a beard. I don't, just don't know who it was. And then they showed an in-time video. And then the person who brought me asked me if I wanted to go up when the altar call was given. And I told them I didn't want to, but I did want to. And I don't know if it's that I did want to, it's I knew I needed to, but I just wasn't ready. It wasn't that time yet. Why? Because we're told in John chapter 3, verse 19, and this is the condemnation that light has come into the world. Light came into my life that night through the word of God, but it says, and men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. I don't think I was ready to be exposed for who I was. I don't think I was even ready to have my sinful nature illuminated to myself. But came that time, again, that fullness of time, when the word was spoken, and it was my time, and it wasn't that bad because I was introduced to Jesus Christ. And and Christ didn't verbalize this, but I just knew that it would be he, once I admitted to these sins, once I took possession of these sins, that he would then take these sins from me And cast these sins away. And he did that in my life. And he altered my life. There was still the hardship that I was going through. And the difficult things that we were dealing with. And we didn't skip down the road to heaven. There's nothing like that. But it was all about that which I couldn't deal with. That which the situation that I couldn't handle. Christ did. I was just as troubled as Herod was. And it says, and all of Jerusalem with him. I was just as troubled with that. We've been troubled individually, but all of humanity is troubled apart from Christ. But it's when Christ enters in that we find that peace that surpasses understanding. See, as a king of your own kingdom, you don't like a threat to your power. You don't like to hear that you've been wrong and you don't like the opposition. As I've mentioned before, it's probably the hardest thing of preaching the gospel is bringing somebody to the point that they have been wrong all of their life and their worldview. Pride is a hard nut to crack. That was really hard with my father. My father was a kind of man who, and he was very successful. He thought he had it all understood. He had everything under control. And he had that thought all the way until things spiraled out of control as his health went downhill. And for my dad to admit that he was wrong, it was just an amazing thing for me to see. It was a visualization of the power of God and what God is able to do in a person's life to break him down, but to break him down for the purpose of building him up. And just to see that, it was truly a 
an absolute miracle. And so we have the opportunity now to be those lights, to be those lights out in the world. And so as we preach the word of God, what are the effects that come about from it? We had door-to-door that went out yesterday, and they had some pretty good conversations with some people, some people that used to go to church, people that, they, that knew that they needed Christ, and it was kind of cool. I received an email of what happened, and it was just very good. But there's viable options out there that the person has when the gospel is preached to them. And the first thought is, is the same thing as Herod, when they're convicted by the gospel, convicted by the Lord Jesus Christ, I'll kill him off. It's a problem is if someone or something is perfect, you can't kill him. And even Jesus, although they finally did kill him, they thought they were done with him, we know the Lord did not stay dead. He rose again and again. He changed the world. He changed people. And through that, these changed people changed the world. And he continues to do so even today. In Matthew 5, verses 17 through 18, Do not think that I came to destroy the law or the prophets. I did not come to destroy, but to fulfill. For surely I say to you, till heaven and earth pass away, not one jot, not one tittle. These are the smallest marks in the Hebrew punctuation of the Hebrew language. Not one jot or one tittle will by no means pass from the law till it is fulfilled. You can be of the mindset of just divorcing yourself from Jesus Christ to cohabitate, but to really not enter in and to develop that relationship. But you can run, but you just can't hide because God pursues us and he continues to pursue us even when we're not pursuing him. Again, the day that you were saved or that time frame when you were saved, were you, did you wake up one morning and say, you know what, I think I'm going to submit my life to Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. Or I'm going to go find a born-again believer and have him share the gospel message with me one more time. That wasn't me, and that's very few people that I know. I don't really know anybody that came to Christ like that. But it was all about Christ pursuing us. And if you think back in your life and in your testimony, wasn't your days of you being a Herod, your unsaved state, wasn't that all about Christ pursuing you? Again, as I stated this morning, all things work together for the good, Romans eight twenty eight. Why? And a big part of that is the revelation of Jesus Christ into our lives. And I can look back and see the things that had happened in my life. Well, it was just, I, I wish I was born again earlier in my life, but the day that I was born again was according to God's perfect will, and it was the perfect time. But I do remember how Christ pursued me. And then there is the third option. Instead of killing off Christ, we kill ourselves. But the problem we come to here, or the realization of the problem is, we're already dead. We're dead in our sins and our trespasses. But God's solution is, even though you're dead, I'll bring you back to new life. You're buried with Christ. Again, we see that rich illustration of baptism. Just as surely as Christ died, that illustration is is that we died at the moment of belief. We died to the Herod. We died to the person whom we used to be. But then he brings us back to a new glorious life. Just as surely, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, as this body is going to die and it's going to be planted, it gives birth at the moment of death, but it gives birth to that new living spirit to be in the presence of Jesus Christ. We are dead to the old kingdom of pride and alive to God's new kingdom of grace. Verses 9 through 11 When they heard of the king, they departed, and behold, the star which they had seen in the east went before them till it came and stood over where the young child was. 
When they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceedingly great joy. And when they had come into the house, they saw the young child with Mary, his mother, and fell down and worshipped him. And when they had opened their treasures, they presented gifts to him, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Then being divinely warned in a dream that they should not return to Herod, they departed for their own country another way. These gifts that they had given, we need to reconsider them. These are gifts that we are to continually offer to the Lord Jesus Christ. The very first gifts that are given are given by Gentile believers that had traveled far and been through much peril in order to get there. And again, you can look at that at your old life and the time that it took for you to become born again as a time of travel. And as we offer these gifts, we need to understand that this needs to be an offering, spiritually speaking, that we give to the Lord every single day of our life. The first gift that we are to give is to be this gift of gold. In the scriptures, gold is a gift that denotes deity. It's that which is fit for a king. You offer that to the Lord. Obviously not physical gold, but I'm just talking in your life, in your mindset, coming before God and understanding him as the king and the Lord over your life. To give God the gift of gold is to proclaim them just that, king and Lord. King and Lord over every detail. Here I am, Lord. Use me. Use me, Father, for your glory and to your fullest. Lord, Lord is one whom you have given control and authority over every aspect of your life. I haven't arrived there yet. Jesus Christ is the Lord of my life, but there's still little bits and pieces that we hang on to. And so once God deals with one, then we move on to the next. Sometimes you reach back and you pull that back in and got to deal with it over again. But it's a continuous process that is being worked out through our lives. The big things, pretty much, we give right away. There's a lot of details, though, that we still need to deal with. But that's okay. God is in the details, and God continues to work in those details. But in essence, this is to say to him, I give up, you take over. I had been the Lord of my life and I understand and realize the failure that I had been and that failure was going to cost me my life for all of eternity. But recognizing the magnitude of who Jesus Christ is and of giving your life to him and letting him take over and truly trusting, it's the essence of what saving faith is. The next gift that we are to give to God is frankincense. Frankincense is the main incense in the spice of the temple. When the priest would minister, he would be reminded that he is representative of the people and maybe just as important as the prayers of the people. God's been reminding me of that from time to time, especially as I sit at my desk on Thursday afternoons. As I sit on my desk on Thursday afternoon, I put together the prayer list, bless you, the prayer list, It's the list of all of the prayers that have come across the prayer chain. And as I'm writing them there, I'm thinking, did I properly pray for this prayer as it came across my computer? Did did I stop what I was doing and rightly represent this person before God? And I'm not so much even talking about a pastor. I'm talking about a member of our prayer chain. And it's the same thing that we got to consider because, oh, I'm so busy, I'll do it later. And very rarely when you say, hey, I'll lift you up in prayer later on, do you really do it? It's stopping at that instant and realizing I've got a privilege and a responsibility here to represent this person in their need before God. 
God allows our prayers, just as the incense would rise up into the heavens, so is that illustration of the prayers of the saints. And I want to enter into that. If Jesus Christ is the Lord of my life, then that means he's the Lord of your lives. And that person that we're praying for, he's the Lord of their lives. And I can't manipulate the Lord to work in their life. But the fact of the matter is, Jesus does work through prayer. And again, as I've mentioned before at the start of this study, I've just seen God move recently. Not that I've just seen him move recently. I've seen him move, but it seems like to a greater degree in the prayers and answering prayers that come across the prayer chain and in other areas that I've seen. So just as I can gift God by proclaiming him Lord, I can also gift him through my prayers. And there's probably been quite a few of us that looking through the gifts that we received this year, you've probably forgotten who's given you some of them. Now, where did I get that? Who, did we, who gave us that? Or maybe even kind of forgotten. I mean, can you even recite all the gifts that you got? Well, as we give God of these gifts, he gives us so much back. And this is for every single day of our life. Just keep in mind what a gift it is. Even though I've gifted him, what a gift he has given me back as being Lord over my life. As I've gifted him in this illustration of frankincense, as he's gifted us with prayer, what a gift that prayer is for our lives. And then the next gift that we are to give to God is myrrh. Myrrh is the spice of death and burial, and it speaks of the Lord's death. This is to give this gift to God, is to recognize his death. And all that his death means for us. How understanding that this little baby didn't remain a baby, but he grew to be a man. And in about 33 years of his life, he he had the cross that was set before him. And he was obedient to go to that cross. And it was God who allowed mankind to nail him to the cross. Because again, because God is just, the price had to be paid for sin. Because God is just, my sins, there had to be somebody who paid the price that I couldn't pay. And Christ did that. And it's to recognize that Christ did it. See, not only is he Lord, but he's also my Savior. Because Lord and Savior go hand in hand. And it's to never forget. I'm gifting him with this myrrh, but he's given me so much back as I recognize the death. I understand all that the death has done for me. How it has opened again the gates of heaven, but even more importantly than that in our personal lives, how it has opened the gates of heaven to me. Theoretically, I could never get them open. The only gates that were open to me in my unsaved state were the gates of hell. But because of the grace of God and the love that he has given us, he's opened eternity with him for us all. Isaiah 1.18, Come now and let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins were like scarlet, though you were marked as a sinner, they shall be as white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, you shall be as wool. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 13. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Once again, as you see that term, the blood of the Lamb or the blood of Christ, that speaks of his death. The reason I can surrender my life to him is because he first surrendered his life to us. Dwell on those things. Meditate on those things. Meditate on the, the death of Christ. Meditate upon, really, what effect that has had in your life. Understand and and meditate upon these. Just take these times to think of these things that I couldn't pay the price. Jesus said, you must be born again. 
and the reason I'm able to be born again is because of the cross of Christ. And lastly, tell that bad angel on your left this, although I was once a Herod, I am now a wise man, and there's never any opportunity. There's, there's no going back that way. Again, verse 12, then being divinely warned in a dream that they should not return to Herod, they departed for their own country another way. See, when we don't meditate on these things, when we don't dwell on these things, these things so easily become routine. But especially the Word of God, through the understanding that the Spirit gives us, when we meditate upon God's Word, God amplifies, magnifies these things within our hearts and within our lives. We see the reality and an adoration and appreciation builds up within us. And we walk in the Lord in the knowledge of his goodness. My last encouragement to you, because we will not meet again until 2019. If you are an online person, the one-year Bible is free. You can get, put your laptop, your pad, your phone on your lap in the morning. Just go to oneyearbibleonline.com and you can go to the one-year uh, Bible reading plan. As I said, it's free. You can develop an account and it will keep you accountable. Again, there's no cost for it. You're in the Word of God every single day. Take time to meditate upon God's Word. Chew on it, digest it, and to receive it into your life because there's no going back. I have decided to follow Jesus. I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back, no turning back. The cross before me, the world behind me, no turning back, no turning back. Though no one goes with me, still I will follow. No turning back, no turning back. The girls, they wanted me to sing it, but I'll I'll let them sing it for you. But it applies to all of our lives. No turning back. If you really meditate upon these things, why would you ever want to? Father, once again, we just thank you, God, for your word, for this season, Lord, that we just see these realities and these truths. And I pray, Father, that they would simply reign within our hearts. Lord, your word tells us all who call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. And I just pray, Father, for those here in this room, those on the internet, wherever, that, Lord, we will contemplate this. And if there's anybody who partakes of this study who's yet to receive Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, I pray that you would take time to take stock of your sins and to repent of those sins, to be open to the leading of the Holy Spirit, your conscience, as it has convicted you that you would realize that you have lived your life in darkness. You were a Herod, living according to your own ways through a spirit of pride. But I pray that you would become a wise man, that you would submit yourself to God, that you would repent of your sins, that you would make the determination, not each sin individually, but your sinful nature, making that determination to ask God that he would forgive you. And understand that Jesus Christ, as he hung upon the cross, as he took his sin, the sins of the world, he took your sins. And, and, and to thank God for that. And to come into his marvelous kingdom through a spirit of belief that you would be washed as white as snow, having Christ cast your sins as far as the east is from the west. It's a work. Salvation is a work that God does within us in a very personal manner. And so, Father, we again, we just thank you for tonight. I pray for those who have come out that you would go before them and bless them. I pray that we would have a safe new year just celebrating, Lord. You have given us another one. What are we going to do this coming year? It's a blank slate. How are we going to fill it? I pray, Father, that we would fill it with your glory, we ask in Jesus' name.
Amen. Will you all stand, please? Now, every Christmas we decorate, and we usually do it differently every single year. This year we have our Christmas trees, our string art Christmas trees, and Christmas is over, so this week we'll be taking everything down, and we'll probably just be throwing them away. So if there's anybody here who wants one of the Christmas trees, uh, let us know if you're watching on the internet, if you uh, email us, or you can just message us. Uh, even as you're watching, we'll reserve one for you. But if anybody wants one, you're more than uh, able to take one. That's, that'll be great. You can't have the lights, though. The lights are ours. You'll have to supply your own light. Other than that, Happy New Year. God bless you guys. God bless you guys. Have a good week.